Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Episode 227 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Joe Humphrey of Inkle Studios about their adventure game Heaven's Vault. Before we delve into that, let's see what else is under Kane and Rince's umbrella. On Mondays, of course, we have Kane and Rince. This week, they're doing Pony Island. That's right, they're focusing on a very, very interesting indie game. And I really recommend you check out that particular episode, if nothing else. On Wednesdays, we have Sound of Play where they celebrate music made by composers for video games. Indeed, yes. An excellent show, very relaxing, very informative as well. And on Thursdays we have Playwright. This is where we have two people called Ryan inventing games based on the ideas thrown at them by their listeners. It's highly entertaining, highly recommended. Now if you want out more about Cane and Rinse, what else it produces, writes about blogs, videos, all sorts, pop along to caneandrince.com where you'll find archives of podcasts, all the four podcasts, it's under it's the Cane and Rince umbrella, and also a forum, a lively forum that uh, attracts a lot of attention and is also used to provide information and feedback for the rest of the podcast. So do pop along there. We also have a Twitch stream. That's right, if you go find, look up Cane and Rince under twitch.tv and uh, you'll find us there we actually stream two shows at the moment every Thursday night so myself and Darren Gargett set sail on the Caribbean uh, in Sea of Thieves and it's we were on a hunt of content so far we are somewhat sort of lacklustre in that quest but hey stuff happens and yeah you should check it out it's good fun and then on Sundays I Personally, Chris O'Regan, I do actually stream uh, just a, a game, a random game, a random platform for an hour. So if you want to sit there and watch me play games very badly on a Sunday evening, at UK time, then by all means do so. Finally, if you want to throw us some coin, just as a way of gratitude for all this content we're making for you, then you can. If you actually go to Patreon and subscribe... For one US dollar a week as a minimum, 
um, you can actually gain access to extra content. Uh, also, content released early, so you can actually get episodes of Kane and Rince one week early, and also extended editions. Normally, Kane and Rince to the public is limited to two hours, but if you actually chuck us some coin, just one US dollar, then you actually gain extra extended editions that are beyond two hours. Now, considering the last episode, there was, there was an episode on uh, Final Fantasy IX containing that game in two hours is a bit of a, a bit of an ask. So yes, there is definitely extended edition of that, and also you get early releases of the platform-specific podcasts. Uh, at the moment, up to the public, they have the Game Boy, but under a paywall, or sorry, behind a paywall, I should say, we have the Xbox, the original Xbox, um, spoken about. So if you want to get in on that, want to be part of that and hear this stuff, then throw some coin, and you'll be all part of that. So enough of that. Let's move on to the main feature. Please, take it away. Past me. Joseph. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? My name's Joe Humphrey. I am co-founder of Inkle. Um, I give myself different names depending on the day of the week, but sometimes I call myself the gameplay director. Sometimes I call myself art and code director. Um, I do a range of different things. The one thing I don't do at Inkle is the writing, which is what we're known for. Uh, but I, uh, I do the rest. <laughs> not, not quite true, actually, anymore. I, we've, we've hired a lot of people, so uh, my, my job security is probably dwindling. Yeah, yeah, bit of a, bit of a team now. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So listeners, new listeners, old listeners maybe, you might recognise Joe's voice because he was on... I believe yeah. episode six of the Sausage yeah. Factory. Now, uh, we're 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 currently recording um, as we speak episode two hundred and twenty-seven. So things have moved on uh, <laughs> since episode six to two hundred and twenty-seven. Um, so yes, it's I, almost I, like our, our histories are intertwined. <laughs> You've been with us since the early days, and we've been with you since the early days. And I'm eternally grateful for that because you're one <laughs> of the few developers who went. I'm not talking to this idiot. I'm fine. I'll just we'll humour him, and and it worked out, and it's been going ever since. Uh, and we're still here, and you're still doing your thing. And uh, yeah, I've been following you. Uh, you know, the 80 days game was just phenomenal, and continues to be. But we're here to talk about uh, Heaven's Vault. Before we delve into that, I would ask you at this point, as regular listeners will know, I'll go on the second question: How did you make us start making games? And a stupid question to answer because Joe's already answered that. In 2013, it's no different then. To <laughs> do, do, you, do you want me to give a brief summary? And nevertheless, <laughs> you could do that because it was over five years ago. <laughs> All right then, and and also there's a bit more history to tell now. Yes, um, there is. So, so let's <laughs> so, do this. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I've been making games almost all my life. I'm one of those annoying people who who says that right from when they were at um, the fetus. I, yeah, well, I mean, since since I think you know, when I was ten years old, I was I was programming little adventures in right. in BASIC. I don't think I got very far, and it wasn't until I, I was I experimented with game development um, all through my childhood, and it wasn't until I became eighteen years old where I thought, right, I've made about a hundred prototypes or, or failed to finish anything, so I'm going to finish something, and then I finished something. Um, and then I haven't looked back. Uh, so, but then uh, that the first thing I made was a game called Primate Plunge, um, which was uh, sort of like um, 
one of these iPhone games where I can't remember what the genre is called, the kind of the sort of um, the endless climber type game, except this was an endless dropping game way before the days of portrait uh, screens. And yet it was a kind of portrait format game. Right. Um, but I, I showed that game to um, in my job interview for Rare, which is where I got my first proper job. Um and I stayed there for four years. I, I helped make um, Diddy Kong Racing DS and Viva Pinata DS. Um, and then I moved to Sony's Cambridge studio and worked on um, some pretty awful games, <laughs> um, including one called TV Superstars, which was sort of like a, a worse version of SingStar with kind of game show mini games. But it was there where I met um, John Ingold. Um, we kind of met on the first day that I arrived, and we both realized that we were interested in narrative games and not at all interested in uh, TV superstars. And so we left and founded Inkle, uh, where we started making the kind of the narrative type experiences that we all always wanted to make. Um, so we started actually thinking that we were going to try and go after a really broad market, um, a sort of more of a mass market, not this niche games market, by making interactive books uh, for book publishers. It turned out that that was the really niche market and that actually readers weren't interested in uh, adding interactivity. Um, and so we did eventually return to making more traditional games, um, albeit games uh with a really strong narrative focus and so we made the sorcery series the 80 and we made 80 days and now we've made heaven's vault yeah now i had first met joe in the uh, pax east 2013 i mm. know and i was at the, I, was, I was there again <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh 2019 uh and uh it's weird because i remember i knew heaven's vault was coming out and i thought well joe and i or uh, we're, we're probably going to be chatting again. So when I walked across that sort of bit where we yeah. had that interview in that sort of yeah. sofa, I always remember that. Like, oh, look, uh -oh. that's where Inkle uh, they didn't even have a booth. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think you were basically our, one of our very first interviews, yeah. and definitely the best of the first interviews. It was the kind of the one that made us really excited. Where we thought actually someone might 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 like the games that we're making. So I definitely, I'll always remember that interview really fondly. Thank you. Yeah, um, and when the, and subsequently the, you you came on the show, and it it just grew from there. And it's sort of mm. I've kept sort of tabs on you. I've left. I mean, the eighty days things exploded. And, all, and I couldn't get hold of it yeah, at all. That's, and, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's been great for you. So, and the same happening with, with, with Heaven's Gate. So, so, sorry, Heaven's uh, Heaven's Vault. So everyone been, makes that mistake. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> Apparently, just... Heaven's Heaven's Gate is like this this weird um, cult that was like yeah. a suicide cult. Yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> strange. It's so, so we're not that. You're not that. No. <laughs> I'll try to. Well, I um, hope we're not that. Depends how that. sales go. But, but no, the, the point is that I, I like you. I love narratives, but narrative for me is I'm a big explorer of, of worlds. I love exploring worlds made by others, and uh, that's what you do. Yeah. And here with 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 Heaven's Fault, you've made multiple uh, worlds. Yeah. Um, so yeah. We'll, we'll delve into that mm -hmm. later. But thanks for the summary. 
Um, oh, we could we could do influences, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> but I, I do defer to the previous uh, episode. <laughs> I mean, you're not the first return guest. I haven't embarrassed to admit. The Roll Seven currently have the record of three uh, um, because they're, they're local, aren't they? I mean, yeah. uh, and they're lovely people, and they make some lovely games. But uh, yes, uh, um, uh, but no, welcome back and all that. But. Speaking of other developers, I do have to ask question four again because this answer will bound to change. Six, it's been six years, by the way. Six years later. So, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh my goodness! Uh, so, one of the problems with development is I feel like we we we've kind of kept our heads down for so long. I find it's kind of hard to actually. Um, get into playing games, and so the, the 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 thoughts that come to me more naturally is sort of the the games from more from my childhood. Um, That's fun. Yeah. Okay. So um, definitely, Ron Gilbert uh, has been a massive and he's still at it. Inspiration. He's still, Sorry, he's still playing, still making games. Yeah, me. I know, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think I had such a fanboy moment. In fact, twice. Because I'm not sure whether he remembered me, <laughs> but uh, I had when we first um, released 80 Days, and we were we were in the IGFs, and uh, we were showing showing 80 Days at uh, the booth at GDC, and um, uh, Ron Gilbert came over and just kind of wanted to talk to us, which because he played 80 Days, and just knowing that you know my childhood hero had cre- had played one of our games was amazing but then he said that for their scripting um system for thimbleweed park they were inspired by by our scripting system which kind of just blew my mind that the you know the games that i played as a child the first game that i managed to persuade my parents to buy for me because i was so excited about it uh and here it was the creator telling me that he'd been inspired by us was just crazy to me. Yeah. It still is. <laughs> he's he's a really really good comedy writer, which very very few people can yes, boast. Absolutely, at least more in a video video game. Although I have found in recent years, video games have become funnier, which is great. Yeah, it, I, I find it interesting though because I think um, adventure games are sort of um, the perfect medium for comedy, or at least it's it's sort of where they go naturally because when you have these um, slightly silly interactions that you just create these random objects and then use them together, it's sort of the comedy writes itself. But that's a really lazy way to look at it because it's so true that Ron Gilbert really, on top of that layer of goofiness, he writes incredibly good comedy. So, yeah. It's an extraordinary skill. Uh, Hmm. And Ron doesn't suffer from tears of the clown syndrome. Yeah, know, where you have the, the, the tortured uh, comedian doesn't mm. from that. Nor does Tim Schafer either. They, they, they don't come across them like that at all. Yeah. Um, mm. Their humour is infused almost in everything they do. Yeah, um, so really. it must be exhausting. But <laughs> 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 anyway, so my last question. You did hint at this earlier, but you and I know this is an important question to ask because if you're making games, surely you've got to be playing them, right? So what are you playing right now? Um, what do you plan to play? Because I have a lot of developers on saying, don't get released, I'm trying to fix everything. What am I going to do after, you know, we've got things that settle down a bit? 
Yeah. So, uh, well, no, I have. No, I have played a few games recently. I mean, I got a Switch a few months ago. Welcome and to the, been... the land of the sanity, people. Oh yeah. I mean, I love the Switch. I mean, especially for for uh, our generation. I mean, I I I have a child now. My wife is usually, um, you know exhausted in the evening and wants to watch tv so i can't switch on the ps4 and so it's just the perfect device it's just it, you get these really rich experiences but you can hold them in your hand and something about everything on it is just it just feels perfect it's brilliant um so what are you playing on it then please so i've been playing a little bit of stardew valley because that's the kind of thing i can just dip into and switch my brain off and just uh, mess about and do these just really relaxing, chilled out things. And also my son, who's two and a half years old, can sort of play with me. We can do all of the things that he understands, like planting flowers and then picking them and going on a little adventure and going home and going to bed, all of these concepts he understands. So that's kind of lovely. Um, I've also been playing Baba is You. Um, oh, I was about to recommend that, but a stupid thing. Of course, you would be playing Baba is You. Uh, well, I mean, you, I wouldn't necessarily assume anything because I, I haven't played that many games recently. Um, but Baba is You, I mean, the, the the initial conceit is is ingenious, but it's not just that the game is clever in its initial idea, but it actually executes it really well at all. And I, actually, I can't work out whether the genius in the execution is because the idea is so good that everything else sort of just falls out of it naturally, but it does feel like it's well executed. No, the reason I sort of, yeah, and you're right, you're right. It, it, it is, it seems to be almost an accident, but then again, it was born mm -hmm. from a game jam. So those exactly. are always accidents. But point is that the game is such a, such a pure version of narration or language construction that mm. is why I thought you would you'd be drawn to Bubba as you because mm. it is about language construction, really simple. Yeah. That, yeah. that crosses all languages. I want to say all. Careful, I was going to say <laughs> European languages uh, mm. that are constructed in this way, uh, mm. and uh, that's for me. That was why because um, yeah. to, to to have b very very odd commands like Bubba is you, and then Wallish. I just love doing the really. I just when I'm solving them, I'm going. How can I solve this in the most stupidest way possible? Yeah. I know. I become the wall. And yeah. then the wall goes to blag. And um, so there <laughs> you go. I am now the wall. And that's yeah. what I, when I tell people about the game, it's the th first thing I explain to them is like, well, you just basically change the logic. You, yeah, say, you shift exactly. the logic and you say, well, Bubba has used a little title. I don't know what he is. I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> it's a little sheep-like, pig-like thing. Yeah. Is that, that, or you could be something else to shove, it, you know. <laughs> it really sort of feels like you're breaking the game because yes. you're you're sort of, it feels like you as the player have thought of something that the developer didn't and you're sort of <laughs> cheating your way through or yes. something. Yes. And so it sort of makes you wonder what the limits are. And I sort of wonder whether when I complete a puzzle whether i've done it the way that it was intended or whether i've <laughs> it's genuinely hard to tell yeah and it doesn't matter so yeah. i spent a yeah. lot of my flight back from boston with bubba as you i'm happy to mm -hmm. say so uh yeah anything else um what else have i played um so in the other category of things that i'm thinking of playing i really do want to play Oberdin. um mm -hmm. 
partly because I grew up with a Mac as a child. I was I was one of the very few people who had to make do with a Mac in order to play games. Um, and so I definitely recognize that kind of black and white art style. I grew up with hypercard games, which were all black and white pixel art. I created some of my first little um, graphic adventure games by drawing individual black pixels onto a screen and and linking them together. And I, I sort of recognize all of these sort of uh, dithering patterns in order to get all the different kind of shades of gray because you didn't have shades of gray. So I definitely have that layer of nostalgia. Plus, everyone just tells me it's a great game. So I feel like it's my duty to play it now. Yeah, it's, it is a very, very good game. I won't spoil anything. But it is an exceptionally piece, piece, exceptional piece of coding, and the visuals aside, in fact, because of the visuals, I would say um, you get drawn mm. into it because it is so simplistic. I, I find it amazing that he managed to turn that into something really genuinely beautiful as well, because it's not obvious. Like you, could, you could definitely imagine a version of it where reviewers said it's an ingenious game, showing show about the art style. That you've gone a bit nuts here and it's yeah. it's hot it's like you could imagine it being difficult to read because that kind of high cr- contrast yeah. you know as as someone who does the, the graphic design for our games you know anytime you have this really high contrast it's really difficult to layer things up and it's it's hard to you know make things visible and readable but he seems to have done that incredibly well. So yeah, well, I, work. there's some recent. So thanks to you know time and retro retro gaming. Although we kind of instantly recognise retro games because games are just games, mm. whether they were made thirty years ago or last week. Yeah. They're just games. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I've noticed in the years that I've designed and totally appreciate this more than anyone is dippling. This is one of the better, yeah, they're basically just putting shading. By actually having lots and lots of tiny sort of pixels and creating a shading sort of effect, and it's sort of oh. like a ripple effect. And this is something that a lot of people are doing in old eight-bit computers, like they're redoing the loading screens to ZX Spectrum games. Going well, if we do it now, it would look like this, and they're mm-hmm. using the same technology, but they're just using modern sort of uh, pixel art sort of te- um, the techniques, which yeah. bring about extraordinary renders yeah. and. Uh, this is what I believe has uh, is, 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 is happened um, with a lot of games. Um, mm. So, yeah. The interesting thing is, like, pixel art's been around for a very long time before computers in terms of, like, you know, stitching on yeah. or knitting on jumpers or mosaics by, by the Romans. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's always been beautiful. It's been incredible. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if you look at an old mosaic, I find it really interesting that you can have the individual little tiles be rotated to face in different directions. So I'd kind of love to see a pixel art that sort of breaks the grid and does uses things that sort of look like pixels, but they're not aligned as screen pixels, but they're more like a mosaic. That'd be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, good choice of games. And uh, yes, best of luck with, um, uh, getting through Bubba as you. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's the end of the first half. Relatively short, everyone, because for reasons that we would explain. But we're going to now <laughs> go on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into Heaven's Vault.
zeroth question. What is <laughs> Heaven's Vault? Heaven's Vault is a narrative, archaeological narrative adventure in which there's an entire ancient hieroglyphic language to decipher. Um, so um, you play the role of an archaeologist called Alia Lazra, and you're um, exploring um, the lost ruins um, of an ancient civilization. And along the way, you sort of find inscriptions um, all around, and you can translate these inscriptions that are written in an entire language that we've constructed. So they sort of form the puzzles um, in the game, but unlike most puzzles, you can't, you're not necessarily, you, you don't have to get them absolutely right in order to progress. In fact, you can get them completely wrong and insert the complete, completely the wrong words and get the wrong translation. And all that will do is feed back into the narrative. So if there's, if you're exploring a, a palace and you translate some inscription that suggests that the location is a temple, then um, Aaliyah will walk around theorizing that maybe this place was a temple and maybe here was the altar and so on. Um, so really it's, it's, it's in some ways the structure is a bit like the witness in that there's a mixture of exploration and puzzling, except this, there's this whole extra narrative layer over the top that it is a, it, in its essence, a very pure narrative story driven game. Um, I like to say that it, it's sort of, we're trying to, we're trying to uh, work out what it feels like because although it shares a lot in common with traditional point and click games, it doesn't really feel like a point and click adventure game to play. It feels more like you're watching a Netflix show or you're reading a novel. Um, so by the time you got to the end, you really feel like you've read a novel or something. Um, yeah. Or a version of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a really good explanation. And there are other aspects of it, which we're going to delve mm -hmm. into now. Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about you know, the, the virtual green room uh, prior to recording about um, the fact that Heaven's Vault has what I describe a mirror story or a mirror structure. In, the main, in that, the main protagonist's backstory is just as interesting, stroke important, mm -hmm. as the discovery of the ancient ruins that she that uh, she is sort of wading through and discovering and trying to decipher. Mm. Was this deliberate? Uh, it's exceptionally deliberate. <laughs> right. Uh, so then, yeah, the the game's theme is all about history um, and archaeology. So um, we have a timeline feature in the game that lets you view um, all of the events that stretch all the way back 5,000 years, if you've, if you've uh, discovered them. Um, but you can zoom in on this timeline, a bit like Google Maps. You can zoom in and zoom in, and you can zoom in as far as, say, the past 30 years, and you can see the history of um, Aaliyah's life, um, where she was born, where she grew up. Um, but then you can zoom in again to the past uh, 10 days, and there you can sort of see... Um, the plot, the, the plot of the game, because um, the history works on several levels. Um, although there is ancient history you're discovering, you're also following the, um, the plot, which is 
that there's uh, an academic who's gone missing and you've been tasked to uh, try to discover him, like see what's happened to him. Um, and that's a plot that's kind of set in motion from the moment you uh, arrive at the start of the game um, at the university where you work and you talk to your boss and she tells you um, like the basics of the backstory. So, so yeah, the, the history is working on these multiple levels. And even as, as you play the game, it puts new events on the timeline, which is constantly more moving forwards because, of course, you are also part of history. So as you explore these different locations, um, the timeline also becomes like a quest log. Um, so it'll, it'll mark down when you arrive in a, on a moon, when you make a significant discovery, um, when you manage to translate something. And so it also acts as your inventory. So everything that you've collected so far in terms of uh, these inscriptions are also marked on your timeline in terms of uh, when you found them, as well as suggestion. If it was written on an artifact, for example, you might it will also um, add the history of that artifact. So you can look, um, look at where you theorize that um, the, uh, the artifact might have been created 2000 years ago, perhaps, uh, all the way up to sort of um, both where it might have been transported to, um, if it was moved between different moons, up to, you know, you discovering it, you perhaps managing to translate it. Yes, and um, the whole environment of the different moons and the, and the, and the streams in which you flow are of a uh, is, is extraordinary. It doesn't give it a great sense of a, a broader world, a broader yeah. worlds. Uh, and uh, that's what I love about it. Is, uh, of Heaven's Fault. It's this, this sense of there's a grandeur to things. There's a mm. class, there's a there's not just the character and you know her backstory. You're already familiar with her with her world. You don't know about her world either. Mm. You're discovering both at the same time. You're discovering the ancient past. And mm. her immediate environment and her, what's going on with her culture and her you know, her reality. Yeah, exactly. Because there is a very, not only I, exactly, you're not only discovering this ancient civilization, but this ancient civilization has has slowly evolved in, into the civilization that you are exploring on the various moons that, and it's become a very different civilization. It's, um, is it has different belief structures, um, and you sort of, you're also discovering how that came to be. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So still on the discovery sort of theme, I've noticed that um, discovery of components of the language opens up more of the game as the player progresses, as mm -hmm. you've explained. But my only sort of thing, certainly in sort of the midpoint of the game, I've found, is that one becomes overconfident. Because there is an issue that you find yourself going, actually, I know what this string pretty much says. I've pretty much got this, you know. So I'm asking, you know, how do you overcome this problem of people linking dialogues up because they pretty much always, they think they got the gist of how this language um, functions based mm. on where they are and where, how, how much they've been studying it up until that point, maybe six, seven hours in. Um, mm. How do you overcome people linking this dialogue and then making greater advances than you originally expected? Or indeed, what mechanics are there to you know, mm. rein the player in a bit? 
Uh, it's an incredibly delicate balance. Uh, we have a lot of quite complex um, tracking going on that as you as you have dialogue, as you discover inscriptions, we make note of everything that you've seen. Um, and we have this quite complex data structure in the game that um, links together all of these facts. And as you learn facts and you combine those facts together, it creates kind of new facts. And so we can we have this sort of this simulation of what the player knows effectively. Um, and all of the dialogue and all of the story is hooked into that system. So, um, in fact, this is this is kind of how the dialogue system works. That it's not a, a branching tree structure anymore. It it is like that in in the very detailed individual conversations. But at the much broader level, where those individual conversations occur is completely dictated by this knowledge model, um, as well as the context of where you are. So there are certain there are, there's a large number of conversations that are purely um, that are, all all of the conversations are contextual, but there are some conversations that might rely on context that has got nothing to do with your current location. So you could have if you make if you put two and two together in some um, in some dialogue sequence and make a discovery or you get told something, you could have the same conversation, um, on a, on a distant desert world, or you could have it at home on Iox, the home planet where the university is, or you could have it while you're sailing through space. Um, so it's got that flexibility because, um, your deduction processes and the way that you, um, you experience the story is so completely flexible. And that gives you its power, its its sense of discovery, and a sense of with that tool set that you grant the player with you know, language and understanding more about the language, and therefore understanding more about where the uh, this this lost archaeologist may may or may not be, and indeed the the this, uh, this ancient civilization that has now ceased to be, and how it came to cease to be. All of these things, given all these tools of, um, and also the. The, the powers of deduction, which uh, Aaliyah actually um, uh, excels at because she's a very good archaeologist. Um, a little bit too good because I'm going to now come on to her and her relationship with um, Six. We haven't spoken about Six yet, but he is a... Well, it? Him? Wow, well, that's a really good question. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't really want to say explicitly either way. It's probably not a good idea. So it's a, it's a um, artificial intelligence thing. Droid? Um, yes. Uh, well, Aaliyah refers to um, the robot as it, uh, and it's partly because she as a person has kind of disdain for uh, that type of technology, and she finds these robots annoying, uh, and so they have this interesting, quite uh, uh, argumentative or slightly um, strained relationship. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've written the word caustic. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I do believe Aaliyah is uh, somewhat uh, relationship is somewhat at least at least initially quite mm. caustic. Um, even when Six is trying to protect her from herself, mm. uh, because she doesn't really exercise a great deal of empathy. She is yeah. a scientist with a capital mm. S. She's only really interested in facts. Uh, emotions are, um, are there, but um, mm -hmm. they're not really useful to her. So she generally doesn't really. She's not very good. She's not a very empathetic person. 
No, exactly. So I just want to know, how is this dynamic and the the character of Elite and Six, a pair of them really, because that's the most <laughs> main focus of attention, how has this played into development of the story of Heaven's Fault? I would say probably a great deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the the delicate balance there is is you know when you when you create one of these really strong relationships um, between two characters or when you or even just one personality of for example the main protagonist that when you're expecting the player to uh, slip into her shoes and be her and make choices for her and yet she already has this really strong character um, it's 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 really interesting the problem of how you how you how you have this like strong strong interesting character that isn't just you know, a Harry Potter type character who's completely blank, who you're supposed to sort of um, use your imagination in order to kind of get behind his eyes and basically in, in like be on the, the roller coaster that is his story. And instead, we have a protagonist who actually has a lot of independence um, from the player. And yet uh, there's that challenge of how you get the player to... Uh, empathize with this character especially one who is at times quite overtly hostile um, and so it's a bit of a magic trick to kind of uh, create a set of choices that feel natural but also sort of lightly uh, um, sort of suggest to the player this type of angle of like maybe maybe you want to um almost seduce the player into taking the type of choices that the character would take um, for the story while also giving the player agency. Yes, um, yes. Um, but that's that's the trick with um, making games with strong narrative. Um, without strong characters, um, you've got a choice. Either let the character be evolved with the player, therefore create a semi-role-playing game in that regard, or you present them with a very strong character who's interesting, who, uh, but is not a blank canvas, mm. uh, but is something that, that you're drawn to, someone you can exactly. relate to and empathise with, even if the character can't themselves. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, all credit to John, who did all the writing on the game. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I don't really fully understand how he did it. But no, it's, no. It's, it's, really, it's really impressive, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a real study of the human condition. All, all I can say is he's probably done a lot of people watching. That's all. That's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. Um, so, last question. This is definitely in your sort of place, and I just wanted to your your sort of role as an art director here because one of the things that adventure games can be won and lost on is their ability to advertise elements in the world the player really should be looking at without mm. actually creating a big yellow um, sort of exclamation mm. mark over the top of mm. it in a World of Warcraft-like fashion. <laughs> so what have you done? I know the answer to this because I asked your, your colleague at, uh, at uh, EGX Res. Uh, but Interesting. Let's see if we give the same answer. Yeah, she 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 was quite enthused. By oh, she, well, she's okay. Yeah. She, she is probably Laura, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, she is the she's the environment artist, so she's the expert on yeah. this. <laughs> so let's uh, see. Let's see what, uh, what what response you come up with. But basically, 
what how do you believe in heaven's vault you managed to advertise aspects of the environment that player finds themselves in mm. that they really should be interacting with or something's interesting without them without you being you know insulting their intelligence yeah i mean i kind of see it as a book of trick um book of tricks really uh because there is a there's a large range of little things that you can do. And in many ways, it's, shared, it's a sort of a practice that is shared with, um, uh, for example, just, just traditional architecture that um, when you design a space, you design a flow that sort of suggests, like even when you're just designing a residential house, you create a three-dimensional space that has a flow through it that when you enter through the front door, you have this natural feeling of progression through the space that suggests where um, where you want to walk. And it's exactly the same in games that um, by placing um, certain corridors or, or gateways or just open spaces um, or, or even even if even if that gate isn't a physical gate, but it just might be two trees that have been placed in the level with a gap between them that just looks interesting. It's kind of just playing with the player's psychology that um, it's sort of uh, just being um, really kind of psychologically suggestive about um, where they might want to look. Um, And so it's, it's, it's subtle things to do with space, but it's also, it could be light as well. So if you place a, a light in the world, you can, um, it, it can kind of be highlighted. Um, uh, or you can also just put in kind of barriers um, that, that create a kind of flow, almost like, you know, if you were diverting water or a physical object that was like a marble rolling around the space, you might kind of put down a block that would sort of, cause cause whatever it is to sort of change direction if you place to a slight angle then there'll be this kind of natural inclination to move forwards and to the right for example if it's kind of placed diagonally so it's all of these really subtle cues that all add up together in order to um yeah create a sense of flow through a space so you're sculpting space basically which is yeah, which yeah. Is what architects do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, and I just found it. I just the reason I talked about it, asking you about it, because Heavens Vault does a fantastic job of this. It doesn't. Oh, thank you. It doesn't insult the the, the uh, player at all. Their, their intelligence, mm. like you know, it doesn't drag you around with it. No, it's like you have any standing here. Look, that feature is slightly different, isn't it? Are you drawn yeah. to it? You've just walked over to it. Oh, look, there's a thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of an iterative process as well. So that um, if you see somewhere where the player ought to be walking, that uh, you see someone not discover it, then so for example, there's a there's a level with um, um, is it? I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a there's a there's a sort of a desert, and then there's a point at which the desert dips down into this um, crater and. If you're if you're standing far enough from the edge of the crater, then you're not really aware of where you might be able to climb down. And so, what we did is we put uh, basically a handrail that dips over the edge, almost like the edge of a swimming pool. And that's a, something that will stick out and something that for the eye to latch onto, and you naturally walk towards it. Right. Uh, 
yeah. So it's little tricks like that um, that you sort of discover through playtesting. It's uh, like I said, it's it's no it's no mean feat to to, to, mm. to do that, and uh, I can congratulate you and your team and pulling it off with the Heaven's Vault. Oh, thank you. Which is out now. It is way. out now. It's, it's been out. Just over a week now, although yeah, it's like, it feels like a few months already. <laughs> yeah, the time of recording. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, so just get on the platforms, right? Because um, mm-hmm. it is Windows PC. Yes, and um, PlayStation 4. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, two great platforms, or diverse platforms, uh, one would mm-hmm. argue, uh, to slightly different audiences. But, yeah, um, it's, it's been a very different experience for us this time um, because. Uh, yeah, previously all of our games had been kind of iOS first, and we did port them to PC, um, but uh, they were mobile first, and this is the first time we've kind of gone with a PC console um, first design, which is, yeah, it's been a big step up for us. Yeah, yeah. no, and it's, you pulled it off, as I said already. So, Joe, it's been fantastic having you on again. <laughs> Oh, it's been great to chat, and let's do this again really um, should, next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> let's make it a week, weekly show. Weekly show, yeah. We'll do Joe and Chris show uh, on various stuff. Um, but, um, I mean, if, if you want, we could actually have you come back and you can talk about 80 days, for example. That would be fun. Uh, yeah, but we could good. do that. Yeah. But later on, when things are settled down a bit, you can talk to John and uh, we could have you back on and say, okay, well, I know this, this is an old one, but it's good and people need to know about it and want to know. Have you made it? So that'd be quite fun. But anyway, that's not a, that's, that's less about that. Um, you're more than welcome to come back on, of course, because as you've proven, <laughs> you've done it. Uh, whatever, whatever's next after Heaven's Vault, I'm sure you've probably got some plans and sketches laid out already. Yeah, we, we, we do indeed. We do indeed. Yeah, because uh, that's how development works typically. Indeed, they, they overflow into each other. There's a little dovetail. <laughs> It's meant to yeah. anyway, but it uh, doesn't always work out that way. But uh, yeah. So anyway, yes, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, great to chat to you. Thanks very much. <laughs>